Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today you get to witness me getting schooled by one of the greats of the online bodybuilding community, Paul Carter, on how to maximize natty muscle gains. Paul's a straight-talking, seriously knowledgeable and impactful leader in the online building community, and you'll hear more about his credentials as we get started. I'll tell you what, what Paul Carter doesn't know about the gym and developing your physique just isn't worth knowing. And as I say, I do get schooled on what it takes to keep building muscle, and Paul rightly challenges some of my assertions and current efforts. You need these conversations, right? To test your understanding of the world and be willing to change your view or beliefs if someone gives you a great reason to do so. And that's what Paul did today. Yeah, muscle building is very nuanced and individual, but there are some things which are just too compelling to not pay close attention to. This is a jam-packed conversation on muscle building. You're gonna wanna listen to this throughout, but the juicy parts being, what are the biggest reasons why people struggle to keep building muscle? Paul shares his big issue with excess volume, reps in reserve, high frequency training, and high volume submaximal bodybuilding routines. He talks about the necessity to train to failure for the first five years of training, the need to pick the right exercises and do them right based on your frame and focus on that first, how to know if you're getting in enough training volume and frequency, the issues that might be personally holding me back in the gains department, What's the deal with cutting and bulking? Why you need to prioritize wellness to maximize muscle growth and so much more. Tell you what, this is a keeper, a powerful and honest conversation with some great concepts to really latch onto. So listen in, absorb it and get those gains in. As always, if you've got questions, get in touch via the website, Facebook or Instagram. So let's do this. The legend that is... Paul Carter. So Paul, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on Adapt Nation, man. Um, I know we spoke just briefly, but I have been reading your stuff on T Nation for years, probably three or four years. I mean, how long have you been writing on T Nation for? Um, you don't tell you that you asked that. I actually really don't know. Maybe five years now, something like that. Maybe five years. It's that makes me feel old, but yeah, at least five years. I think. I think. Yeah, and I, I love your writing style. It's no BS. You know, there's some profanities in there. You, sh- you, you know, you shoot the shit, and you're <laughs> honest, and and that's what you need. We need more honesty in this space. Um, I write like I talk and, but the problem is sometimes and I, I get this online, even when I'm answering questions on my social media and stuff is I, I realize it can come across as abrasive, but if somebody talks to me in person or on a podcast, they, they get the sense that I'm usually not being abrasive, but then they take it really differently. And that's kind of one of the disconnects that we have across a medium that's like written and somebody's reading it, right. Is that they can be, they can, they can read what you write and take it in a way that you don't mean at all. So I don't, I hear that a lot that I'm kind of a no BS guy, but I mean, it's just how I talk. Um, and I don't mean to, like, I really, unless I'm generally calling somebody a name, <laughs> like I don't write in a way where I'm trying to insult people. One of my big things is to try to get people to think. And then usually 
means that I'm asking them questions like, why do you believe that? Why do you think that? And then if you read it, sometimes it sounds like I'm challenging them, which I am, but in more of like, I want you to get better. I want you to grow kind of way. So it doesn't always come across as well, I think online, but I mean, that's just how that I talk and how that I write. And I don't, I don't plan on changing it. Yeah. Don't, don't change it, man. And just for the the listeners, I'd love for you to give a bit of a bio. Let me, let me kind of call out what I, I respect of you. And then I'd love for you to fill in the blank. So as I say, renowned and prolific writer on T Nation. And I know you write for Muscle and Fitness and Flex as well, but I mostly know you for T Nation. Um, I know that you've written a whole bunch of you know books, digital books, uh, one of which called is called Super Soldier and also Base Building. Um, mm-hmm. Trainer, leader in this muscle building space for sure. Have power lifted? I don't know if you still power lift. No, I retired years ago, but I did competitive powerlifting for like a decade. For a decade. Okay. And you're a dad. I, I see you're a deep thinker as well. I see a lot of your messages on social are, you know, reflective and relational. And I love that. And um, I don't know whether this is uh, fair or appropriate, but I'd kind of see you as somewhat of a meathead turned wellness advocate. And love for us to dig into that a little bit more. But why don't you correct all of that? And, you know, just give us a sense, uh, a bit of a bio of your professional and training career. So everyone who doesn't know you can get to know you in a couple of minutes or so. Um, I guess quick high level overview, uh, started lifting when I was 14, I'm 44 now. So it's like 30 years. And when I say I started lifting at 14 and I'm 44 now, I mean, like I never went through any like time off thing where it's like, Oh, I didn't lift for two years and then came back. Now I've pretty much been lifting consistently for 30 years. Um, as far as like the bio related to fitness stuff, uh, that probably started, I don't know how many years ago I started my a blog, me and Jim Wendler were friends, Jim, let Jim read some of the stuff that I was writing about. He really loved it. Elite FTS ended up publishing it on their website and they wanted a bunch of articles done after that. It really blew up like overnight. And then I started writing for uh, T Nation. Like you said, I've written for Muscle and Fitness. I've written for Flex. I've written for Bodybuilding.com. I wrote for Charles Poliquin uh, when he was alive for a lot of years, did a lot of work um, with him. Um, I've done, you know, seminars with John Meadows, with Ed Cohen, uh, with a multitude of people. Um, And, you know, for years there, it was mainly based around maximal strength training, um, like, you know, developing, you know, you know, the power lifts. That was that was kind of my forte for those years because I was competing and I was focused on that. As like you said, since then, I've I've uh, I retired. And I don't, uh, I went back to my roots training more for bodybuilding. And in the last couple of years, I've really gotten more into the biomechanics side of things. And that's kind of my, uh, my love right now is learning more more and more and doing more work in the biomechanics side of things. So that way guys can, uh, can train and get better and and not be as, um, and essentially not get worse from like a joint perspective, um, how they feel perspective, um, you know, and so that they're executing uh, the movements that, uh, that fit their structure and that they can get the best results from. So that's kind of been like my overall, like my transition through the years of, of what I've been doing. More refined. Yeah, I hope so. Like that's the goal, right? <laughs> Is to first to try to become more refined and better humans as we go. Um, some, sometimes some, we fail at that. And then that's the point, uh, you know, when you have that failure is that it's a reminder that, Hey, you, you have to keep uh, ascending upwards and transcending into that kind of that new season and that new era of your life. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely see that refinement in your work and your discussion and stuff on social. And, and I appreciate that. 
uh, some who's 38 and definitely having to, I don't know, I guess as you age, you, you know, you're willing to stop pressing on the gas so much and willing to kind of reflect on the, you know, the balance of your life and making smarter decisions so you can get everything out of what you do, but, you know, not kill yourself at the same time. And maybe that should be a theme of this discussion. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a natural you know, trainer. I'm not a bodybuilder, but I, I take training pretty seriously in the gym five mm. days a week. I've got my own gym and run a business in 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 that vein. Um, I would say I'm an intermediate, you know, natty kind of guy. Um, and like many people in my in my um, uh, place, there, you know, we're we're trying to look for you know the real big rocks, the things that are going to move the needle, and. Mm some of that's, a, you know, refinement and some of it's just going balls to the wall. And I'd love for us to kind of talk about that. You know, what are the most important training and nutritional principles of an intermediate natural bodybuilder weightlifter? Um, does that feel like something we could talk about over the next hour or so? Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Cool. I, I would, I would venture to guess that honestly, the probably the great majority of the guys on the net fall within that paradigm. I, I would say so. I, I definitely would say so. I think obviously there's a lot of people just getting started or have maybe trained for a few years, but I would regard them as still beginners because they haven't trained with any intent or specificity or, or knowledge. Um, but once people start taking it seriously, get a year under their belt, um, progress is slow. And I think we all want the magic formula. And, you know, you training as long as you have, I guess you, you've understood what works and what doesn't and how certain things are very just intensive and consistency and effort based and other things are, Hey, actually you're just doing the wrong things. And if you could do the right things, mm -hmm. you'd make a lot more progress. Well, this is true. I mean, I, you're kind of hitting on something there that I, I try to get across to guys quite often. And that is number one, I think there's a frustration that comes after the noob games slow down, right? Like, so the noob games comes, you know, you first get into the gym, um, and the the neurological adaptation just to learning the movements is muscle growth, right? Like, because you're not really like you get pretty you know strong, but you're you're gaining gain muscle at a pretty rapid clip early on, probably the first six to eight months, and you gain strength at a pretty rapid clip during that time. And then what happens is is as your body starts to adapt to what you're doing and starts to learn what you're doing, uh, the gains slow down and it comes harder and harder. And I think what happens is that's where a lot of the frustration comes in with guys is they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not growing very fast. Um, I'm not growing the way that I, I used to. And then they start the kind of the whole thing where they start bouncing around looking for that, that's that thing that's going to drive those gains again. And I think the, the, I never really went through that. And one of the lessons I think is I don't think genetically I'm that special. I don't think I'm like, I don't, I don't think I suck from a genetic standpoint. I was like a, a four, 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 five guy, like from a 40 perspective. So I clearly, I mean, I was, I was pretty athletic. Um, I, and I went from about 98 pounds to 215 pounds over a four year span from the time I was 14 till I was 18 years old. And a lot of people say, well, that means that you are, you do have great genetics. But the thing is my focus, my, my main focus during that time was to grow. And I think a huge part of um, why guys struggle to continue growing because I think you can get new gains or pretty close to new new gains for longer than you think. The problem is once they slow down, 
they don't come as easy. Um, guys start jumping around trying to figure out, okay, what works? And what I figured out, I was pretty lucky. What I was really, um, really identified with Dorian Yates and Mike Mincher and Arthur Jones and all those guys when I was coming up through the 90s. And the, the consistent principle was based around really hard work, being really consistent on getting stronger on just basically some really select basic movements. And that was my focus for I don't know how many years. Um, and I think when you look across the natty community now, some people say, well, Paul, you're not natty. But I was natty for 20 years. I, was, I, was, I never took anything for 20 years. I didn't even do the whole pro-hormone pro thing that was really popular. Um, so I was 100% natty for 20 years. And by the time I wasn't natty anymore, I was 252, 255 pounds. Uh, and I was not, I was incredibly fat. I was like kind of a, you know, off-season bodybuilder at that weight, but totally natty. So the thing that I hunkered down into, I never got caught up in, which I see a lot of natural guys getting caught up in now is that, well, I'm natural. So I have to train different and I have to diet different and I have to do cardio different. And I got to sleep different. And I got, and I never believed that I never, I never changed. Like I didn't say, well, I'm natty. And that's how things were back then. Like we didn't, when I had magazines, I was coming up through the years. I didn't go, well, all these guys are on steroids, so I can't train like that. I just like, oh, well, all these guys are super jacked and I want to look like that. So I train really hard or I train like those guys. But I train pretty much in the the mode of the Dorian Yates, Mike Minster type abbreviated high intensity, high effort stuff for years and years and years and consistently just pushed the mechanical loading of the muscle through progressive overload all those years. And I, I, I had a little blurb about that on T Nation and just a tip and it blew up and it was like, it was so weird to me that it blew up because it was so basic and sensible. And that was like for years, all I did was I found a load or a weight that I could hit uh, eight reps to failure. And I would just keep pushing at that weight until I could do 12. And when I could hit 12, I would up the loading. That was it. Like that was all I did for years and years and years and years and years. And I didn't like change my like programs, routines around like every few weeks when it, when things got slow or got frustrated or whatever. Like I can tell you most of the movements that I did for about those first five to eight years, whatever, are pretty all pretty much all the same. And I think that's the problem is like that process is hard and it can be boring. It's not super exciting, I think. I don't know. I was excited because I was making gains. But and the other thing was that I, I really forced that myself for a lot of years. I had to learn how to eat. And if there's two principles I think that most guys that are natural they don't ascribe to especially in this day and age and that is they don't train hard enough they're scared of failure they think they're going to overtrain or think they can't recover from it which is bullshit and then they just don't eat enough and a lot of guys are like well when I start eating I get a little fat yeah dude I know like that's how it works like you're going to gain some fat like I don't do you want to maximize how much muscle growth that you can maximize naturally, you know, or do you want to hold on to your abs? And like, I haven't, I wish there was another way. I know like theoretically on paper, it looks like, yeah, you can just eat, you know, like 90 or hundred extra calories a day. And over the course of the year, that would be X amount of muscle, but it just doesn't really work that way. That's not practically, it doesn't work that way from a, like a practical standpoint on paper. When you start looking at like the law of thermo, uh, uh, thermogenics and, um, things like that. Yeah. For fat loss, it, it tends to work pretty well, but for muscle gain, the process is so different and the law of individuality range pretty heavily there that I just haven't found a way 
around doing any other thing than power shoveling for a few years when you first start and then just to consistently mechanically load the muscle uh, to get stronger, progressive overload, figure out what movements that you like and that fit your structure and that you can execute well and just stay after that for like 10 years. You've said so many, so many things that are pure wisdom and I relate to those, Paul, but um, they're also not what people want to hear, right? <laughs> what, so you're saying I'm going to have to work hard brutally hard hate it consistently for years we're talking about, i, I want to get i want to get jacked in a year come on paul man what's the secret you know so it's not it's not sexy and it's not desirable but i know at least in my experience it's it's about suffering right and i also think we we underestimate how much our bodies can do we're in the gym for an hour an hour and a half and you know we feel completely wrecked after it and we you know we've got to rest for the rest of the day and i, I get that i respect rest but our bodies are able to achieve a hell of a lot and our bodies are going to adapt to the lifestyle we throw at it. So if you're only in the gym an hour a day for three days a week, I don't know. I mean, I know you can maximize that time in the gym, but the reality is that's going to stop giving after a while, right? No, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that because that was the, a lot of how I trained through those years was that I, I think you can train hard or you can train really long. And I think if there's one area that a lot of natural guys – are missing out on it's like there's this push right now to do all this excess volume uh, which we could go into about that and don't believe in the volume bullshit we know that volume only helps to stimulate growth up to a point and then after that it's all diminishing returns or you can even make you worse uh, but for a lot of natural guys they're like well i got to do more volume and then the other thing is like this push to leave to leave reps in the tank so a lot of the quote-unquote natty training paradigms i see is to well i'm going to leave two or three or four reps in the tank. Here, here's my thing to guys that end up listening to this mm. that are natural or enhanced how the fuck do you know how many reps you have in the tank if you never actually really trained a failure for a long time there are so many guys that are like, well, I think I had two reps there. I'm like, how many times have you ever taken a set truly to fail? Like literally you failed. And a lot of times it's not. So they don't know. You need to spend the first five years of your training life taking everything to failure, to, to absolute failure, because that's the basis of which you would work off a modality where you're leaving one or two or three or four reps in the tank, right? Like, how do you know? Yeah. If you've never spent that time taking shit to failure and working really fucking hard, how do you know how many reps you really had in the tank? I've had guys that think they had two reps in the tank that I push and then they go on to do like nine more reps. Okay. So, and so then they wonder why they're not growing, why they're not making the progress. And I'm like, okay, because you haven't been doing any sets that actually stimulate muscle growth. So you're just working in a very easy comfort zone there. If you had nine reps left in the tank, you're not stimulating growth. And there's a big push right now to do a lot of volume. And I don't, I really don't understand it. Like I said, we've got, I don't know how many studies, the majority of studies that, that have looked at volume from low tier, medium tier and high tier consistently show that the low and medium tiers outperform the high volume tiers. But there's this, it's like, well, if you can do more volume and recover from it, then you'll grow more. And I don't, haven't seen that. I haven't seen that both in real life or in the, the studies. And what we have seen, though, is when you train really hard to actually to failure, you're kind of going to be working in that six, eight, ten, you know, sets, um, you know, per workout for a muscle group uh, in order to stimulate growth. And if you don't keep repeating the exercises over and over again and have progressive overload on those on those movements, then you're probably not going to grow. I mean, there's really no getting around that. So if you're not any stronger 
six months from now than you are now, you can probably take a guess about how much growth you're going to have in those six months. Okay. Okay. So I, I had an idea of how that, that I wanted to try and understand where the priorities lie, Paul. You've just hit so many things that have been kind of bouncing around in my mind. Let's try this side in my head and see if it works, which is to see if you can stack rank. If I can force you to make a priority between two or three concepts, not because mm -hmm. the other two are irrelevant, but to try and eke out of you which is the most important. Uh, and you've said something progressive overload, and hopefully the people listening to this show have heard me bleat on about this long enough to understand the concept at, at base level. But if I was to say what's more important, Paul, progressive overload, periodizing your training schemes, whether it be in a, in a training block or a mesocycle, or high tension. So maintaining high tension, tension kind of muscle trend centricity type training modalities, where you're keeping attention tight on that target muscle. Progressive overload, periodization, or basically form. Which would you choose as like, get this one done right first before you think about these other bits? Well, the, the first thing probably would be, if you're going to go down the list, is actually, it's not going to be a progressive overload. So if I, if I have to kind of give you an outline of what it looks like, it's like the number one thing that you want to figure out are the movements that really fit well with your individual structure. Some people are not like built to squat, right? Like they're not, like they want to grow quads, but they're just not built to squat. They have really long femurs and they have really tight ankles. They don't have good ankle mobility um, and they're just not built, you know, to squat. And then they consistently try to kind of force themselves, you know, they're, they're kind of the square peg for trying mm -hmm. to fit themselves into the round hole. And they're like, well, I've been squatting all these years and I'm really beat up and my legs haven't grown. I'm like, yeah, dude, because mechanically you're not really built to squat. It's not good for your structure. And then after that, if you, you kind of have an idea of what movements do fit your structure is to perfect your biomechanics with them. So that way you're actually stimulating the target tissue that you're, that you're trying to train. One of the things when I go through my workshops that's pretty constant is that I would have to say more than 90% of guys don't know how actually how to train their lats. They really don't know how to train their lats very effectively. And that's when I go through and actually teach them how to train their lats, it's very different than how they've ever trained their back or their lats before. Like the majority of guys don't even know, understand like the movements they do, what they train, especially when it comes to like back training. I find that one to be the most common and so this fits in with this discussion. That's, for example, like a lat pull down that most guys do where you have like a parallel grip and you pull down to your chest. That doesn't really work your lats very much at all. It works your upper back. It's an upper back movement. Mm -hmm. Same for chin-ups, like various chin-ups. Those are upper back movements. But a lot of guys will say, well, you want big lats, do some chin-ups or some pull downs. I'm like, well, that's really kind of the opposite of what you need to be doing. Actually, they need to learn how to mechanically load the lats through the right mechanics. Okay. So when you figure out the movements that fit your structure – and then you figure out the good good mechanics with those. You learn good mechanics with those to mechanically load the muscle. That's the point where you can actually go into loading. That's the point where you can actually start going into progressive overloads. Like, okay, I have these movements that really fit my structure. I can execute them well so that I'm, I'm actually targeting the tissue that I'm trying to grow. And now I'm going to start progressive overload. So if you were wanting to go into a one, two, three paradigm as to how to make the best progress, there you go. I was hoping you would say that. Um, I, was spoke, <laughs> I spoke to Ben Pikulski uh, a few weeks ago, 
And uh, I don't know if you if you follow his work and you know his priorities, but he said something similar. He said, "I think people are bleating on bleating on about progress, progressive overload so much, and a lot of people have no business doing progressive overload. They are they are you know too inconsistent with their movements as they scale the weight up." On a given exercise, yeah, and I, w- I would think that also applies to the whole the the people that do a shit ton of volume too, right? Here's here's one of my um, things about that. If you're actually using movements that fit your structure, and you're performing them really well biomechanically, so that you're targeting that tissue, you don't need to do a lot of volume to get that muscle to grow. The, so what happens a lot of times, and with this with this problem with volume too, is that so guys will end up, they get told they need to do more volume. They're not growing. So they do more and more and more volume. Well, eventually it's a crapshoot, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't, they haven't picked good movements. They're not executing them well, but they're doing a ton of stimulation. So something gets stimulated, right? Something does. So there's a little bit of growth somewhere. So they're like, well, okay, that's what it is. I need to do a bunch of volume. It's a really inefficient way to go about your training. So, and yeah, in the realm of what you need to figure out first are the movements for you, execute them well, and then do your loading. But because, because if you're, if you're just continuously, just if, if progressive overload is the number one factor, and I agree, like you have to mechanically load the muscle at some point, you got to be doing more with it at some point than you were before. And I'm talking about from a loading perspective. But the thing is, is that if you're not, if you don't know how to load that muscle, that particular muscle, it's just a crapshoot. You just like, if you're going through, like you're doing whatever movements because the internet told you to do these movements like fucking deadlifts, and you're doing these movements because the internet told you to do those movements, but it's just a crapshoot if you don't know how to perform them, why you're performing them, and if they even fit what you're trying to achieve. Mm, yeah, because I, I know for me, there's, there's a breakdown of form that occurs when I'm, and I'm pushing the boundary of my my you know um, strength potential, and then things go to shit. But you persevere because progressive overload has been built into your psyche of what must be done. So I've got to do more reps, more sets, and ideally more weight. But when the when the exercise starts to look different, and you know you're using other muscles in support of that movement, it, it's a different exercise, right? And therefore, I kind of understand that to some degree, right? Or, or do you do you counter that? Well. No, here's the thing about that is what I think happens there more times than not is that fatigue reveals the um, shitty motor patterns you've already been training with. Mm. So like I can take movements to absolute complete failure and that last rep's going to look just the same as the first couple of reps. But that's because I've spent a lot of time perfecting those motor patterns, right? So what happens is when you have shitty mechanics and you have poor motor patterns, what when you start to fatigue – um, what they, they just become more exacerbated. So if you've been doing say deadlifts and you or squats or whatever, um, and you're not, you know, you don't have good, um, intra-abdominal, uh, bracing. So you have good in, internal stability. Well, as you start to fatigue and break down, you didn't, you already didn't have good stability. So you start to see this breakdown overall where you say you had lumbar, um, flexion, um, or you just see somebody hitching, you just, or when you're squatting and you see a lot of like, you see, you know, vagus and knee cave, um, or you see, start to see, um, posterior pelvic tilt or whatever it is that's happening in that breakdown. It's because that was already there. It's just that fatigue reveals more of it. Mm-hmm. So when you're spending time developing good motor patterns and you're developing good neural pathways to that muscle, through good mechanics, then even as you fatigue, you've got this motor pattern ingrained in the nervous system 
you're stimulating that particular muscle tissue, what happens is, is you start to fatigue. You're just, you're going to fatigue because the nervous system is fatiguing and because the muscles are fatiguing, but you don't, you don't see this breakdown because the motor pattern has been established. So the, you'll fatigue at the muscle and you'll fatigue at the nervous system level, but the actual technique that you're using, that doesn't change because that's the motor pattern that you've been practicing over and over and over and over again. That takes a long time, Paul, right? To, to master some of these more complex movements, multi-joint movements. Uh, yeah, it can. I think it, it becomes, it's a little easier. Once again, if you come back to, um, if I'm picking movements that really fit my structure well, and then I've taken time to, um, to practice developing those good motor patterns. And so I don't think it's something where it has to take years and years and years. Um, I, the thing is, most of the movements that we do, I did the Olympic lifts are, you know, infinitely more complex, you know, than the basic, I think the other basic board, like powerlifting movements or bodybuilding movements there. And so those guys need to practice them more. But the truth is, I think um, you can teach somebody how to squat pretty effectively, um, you know, in what, a few weeks or a few months, um, as long as you're teaching them good mechanics early on. Uh, but you can teach somebody most of these movements. When I go to workshops, by the second day, I usually have most people able to do a variety of, of exercises in a better mechanical um, form than than just you know two days before they got there. Mm. So I'm not saying like it always going to take. Some people do revert back to uh, shitty motor patterns if they're not going to be diligent about practicing them. So I think early on, yeah, you got to practice them a bit. Um, I, I've seen, it's weird. You, it's, it's such an individualistic thing. I, some guys come out and want to work with them and they'll, I'll show them better mechanics and it'll stick right away. And then other people, as soon as you like walk away and start helping another person, they'll go right back to doing whatever shitty form that they were using prior to that. So it, it really is. Some people just, it's like anything else. They learn things faster and they make these changes faster. Um, and like, they, I think there's some people who think that uh, the amount of acetylcholine that they, they produce has to do with that. But I mean, that's, I'm not even going to get into that. But, <laughs> we'll, um, leave, we'll leave Christian to get into that stuff. Yeah, was just, yeah <laughs> I think that yeah, Tibbs think that has to do with acetylcholine. I don't know. I think some people just, um, you know, some people are better athletes than others. Yeah. Some people can, can like, you know, pick up and you show somebody a dance move, right? Like there's some people you show a dance move to one time and they can just do it immediately. And then there's some people you have to show a dance move to for like hours and hours on end before they get it. Same thing with like martial arts, or like jujitsu or anything like that. Some people just get it right away. And I think this is no different in the gym when you're showing people biomechanics and you're like, Hey, perform this, this particular way. And some people just get it right away. And some people, they, they just take, takes them much longer. And, but that's also why you, you have to be introspective and say, okay, look, I'm not really that great at this. So I can't until I really get this form down, I really can't go into the loading. And that's comes back to the other, the patient part of it, right? It's like, well, I got to be patient long enough to know that I'm doing this the right way. But if you're patient, you're doing it the right way. You actually, you know, circumvent that long timeline. You know, you, you saw, okay, you took the, you were patient enough to make sure you, you learn the movements that really fit your body. And then you're patient enough to learn how to do them really effectively. And then you start your loading and you're like, oh, well, I, it took a while, but guess what? I actually, it was a lot faster this way than if I would just kept, you know, doing kind of a shotgun approach and, you know, shitting myself every time I went to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it's, it is hard, isn't it? For, you know, us, especially us males getting in the gym, we get, we get told what is going to be productive for building muscle 
uh, we get told about progressive overload and, you know, getting stronger gets bigger. Um, and, you know, the default mo- mo- mode is to chase those strength gains and those kind of rep gains. Um, but usually at the detriment of either injury or, or perhaps even lift, leaving a percentage of that exercise on the floor, not being able to tap into it because you're just doing it shittily. So maybe maybe we can tap into that one little little more, which is you've spoken about volume and how vo- you know chasing volume in per- perpetuity is not necessarily effective. But the same breath, progressive overload has very strong merit for building and developing your your frame. <laughs> At what point does this, you know, at what point do you look at this volume equation and say that's enough? Or put it another way, how do you know when you've done enough volume versus being overtrained? Because some people, me included, you know, have escalating volume goals only because I feel that's the right thing to be doing. I care about the way I do my my work. I'm not working within limits, which I know my form turns to shit. But the same breath, I'm thinking, hey, well, if my body's going to change, I'm going to need to throw more at it. At what point you go, actually, that frequency or that volume is detrimental? How do you know that as an individual? Well, I mean, it really comes back to the question I asked before. You have to look at your performance in the gym. So if we if we understand that mechanical tension is, is the main driver, right, is the main driver for muscle growth. So, and that, that growth stimulating reps are a combination of activating as many high threshold motor units as possible in conjunction with the involuntarily slowing of a muscle contraction, which produces a high degree of force. And that's mechanically loading the muscle, okay? So we have to have that happen over and over again, which, and there has to be the adaptation to that, which is progressive overload. Then I always come back and ask, if you know that that's gonna be the driver, for muscle growth, then why, what's the whole point of trying to do more work rather than just focus, when I say more work, I literally mean sets or, or volume load. What's the point of that if you're not consistently getting stronger? So it comes back to, and I, when I had Brad Schoenfeld on my podcast that I was doing at the time, we talked about this and I said, you know, it's like Brad's done, you know, multitude of studies, looked at a multitude of studies, one of the head guys in this field. And we both agreed. I said, okay, Brad, it's like, if you're, if you're starting, how much volume do I need to do? I said, you start at one set, right? He's like, right, just one set. And so that's the ground point. So if, if you went in and you do one set, say for like a chest press and then did one set of flies and you said, this is what I'm going to start. I'm going to do that twice a week. I'm going to do that one set to failure on both of those exercises. And I'm going to see what happens to my performance. So over the course of weeks and weeks and weeks, if you're consistently getting better in the gym and your performance is increasing and that's the baseline, then you're going to be growing. What is the point of increasing your volume at that, that point? Because doing, again, once again, it comes back to we've, we've seen through a multitude of studies, volume only helps up to a point and then it's, it's diminishing returns. I personally don't understand the point behind having volume goals if the, the goal is to grow or get stronger. Because there's no, we don't have a direct correlation between growing or getting stronger and volumization, like like doing more and more volume. We have we have tons and tons of anecdotal and research studies showing that mechanically loading the muscle and getting progressed, there, there tends to be a direct correlation between getting stronger and growing, right? In every study we've seen, there's a direct correlation between getting stronger and growing. And then the other direct correlation we've seen is that the rep range doesn't matter as much 
as long as this, as those reps are taking to failure. So whether you're doing a set of eight reps to failure or whether you're doing a set of 27 reps to failure, what we saw, so we've seen similar growth outcomes from that because they were taking to failure. And that falls in line with the, the, the theory of effective reps or growth reps is that as long as you're taking that set to failure, you're going to get the same amount of effective reps for growth. So when you factor all of that stuff in, I know it's a lot, um, you, you kind of come back to the, okay, so where do I start from base level? Well, hitting muscle twice a week, especially for natural guys, twice a week um, tends to be a little more optimal for muscle growth. Um, so we, we tend to see that, right? And then the other thing is that, you know, you want muscle protein synthesis spiked as often as possible. As a natural guy, you're not getting it spiked as much as a guy who's on gear. Um, so if you're looking at that and say, okay, I want to change chest, chest twice a week, back twice a week, legs twice a week, and I have to be able to train really hard where well, you're not going to be able to do a lot of volume, just start you know, one or two sets per body part and just start there week one. What happens in week two? Can you do more? You know, are you able to lift more, more weight for more reps? So on and so on. Cause over the course of a year, if you go from squatting 315 for 10 to 405 for 10, do you think your legs will have grown exponentially? They would have grown. Right. Like there's no way around that. Right. But if you can't, if you go from squatting 315 for 10 to 315 for 10 over the course of the year, despite the fact that maybe you can do a shit ton more volume, you probably are, are not going to grow. Okay. Well, let's, let, let's double click into that because I would have assumed, and, and maybe this is, you know, my own um, academic mind kind of playing through the theory versus the, the reality. But when I think about mechanical tension, I think about, you know, time under tension. And is that not a function of how how long your muscle is? Uh, there's a demand on your muscle, and obviously, the more reps or more sets you do in combination with increasing the weight, surely the work the the, the muscle is going and uh, undergoing more work and through more work under correct and proper tension, is that not going to be recruiting and stimulating, requiring no. more muscle? No, because that would have been my view of no. progressive overload is volume is part of no. the equation. Doing no volume, more volume is not progressive overload. Okay, hundred percent not. That's absolutely false. More right. volume is more is more work done. So, progressive overload means I'm able to lift more weight or for more reps one or the other than I was able to before. It has nothing to do with I can do more work. So, like all you have to do is rest longer and do another set. Okay, and that that would be quote unquote more work, but yes. that's not indicative of progressive overload. Okay. So, and the thing is, when you talk about, okay, time under tension, what, a better way to phrase that is time under significant tension. Because mm. if I do bodyweight squats and I'm doing, say, really slow squat, like bodyweight squats, like, you know, 10 seconds down and 10 seconds up, I have tension on the muscles. Is this significant? No. Significant tension means that I am activating as many of the high threshold motor units as possible and that eventually, because I'm getting closer and closer to failure, there's a involuntarily slowing of those muscle contractions. So when you look at the, um, what's it called? The, the force velocity curve uh, or force velocity relationship. Um, when you look at eccentric and concentric contractions, the, you don't get into a high degree of force production in the concentric, concentric contractions until you get close to failure. Well, 
that's only when you get close to failure, that concentric, concentric contraction is when you have a high degree of force production. You have a high degree of force production on all of your eccentric contractions. So you need that combination of activating as many high threshold motor units as possible. It's going to activate as much as of the muscle as possible. And there's got to be an involuntary slowing of the muscular contractions, which means there's a high degree of force production. That has to happen in order to have something that stimulates the growth response. So doing staying far away from that and doing more work. Um, is in not anywhere near as efficient or productive as simply taking your sets to failure. What about if you and getting those? Well, how are you going to take a whole bunch of volume to failure and still recover? I do. I mean, but say f- failure is subjective, isn't it, Paul? Right? <laughs> it, you know, no, the, like the, I don't. The, the no, sets that's I the, do. That's the thing about no way. Hold on. That's the thing. Failure is not subjective, though. That is that's the that's a huge like failure is not subjective. So if, if failures, I cannot complete another rep, um, I could not can complete another concentric rep. So uh, otherwise it's volitional failure. It's like, oh, I, I can't do another one because this really fucking hurts. <laughs> well, that's this, not, but that's that, not, that's not failure. And that, that, that's why I say subjective. I was speaking to a guy last week, a guy called Mike McCastle, and he's done some insane feats of muscular endurance, like, you know, 6,000 pull-ups in 24 hours, ridiculous stuff. And you can't help but listen to that and go, that's just freakish. Uh, Yet his dialogue is, you know, just incremental progress week on week, just lift the bar up of what you think you can do. So that's why I say it's subjective because immediately after speaking to him, I went in the gym and I'd done more reps where otherwise I wouldn't have done because I've I've taken away some of that kind of emotional and mental limitation. Um, That's what I mean by subjective. I know if you was in a room with me, you'd probably push another five reps out of me than when I do it by myself. Well, yeah, that's why it's not subjective because if it's, it's, there's no, either you, either you can do another rep or you can't, right? It's either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no, <laughs> I, I might be right. So it's like, if you're under, you know, if you picked up some heavy dumbbells and you're doing pressing with them, it, it, when you got to the end and you say you did eight reps, could you do a ninth or no? Or did you attempt a ninth or no? If, if you, if you could have done a ninth, then you didn't go to failure. So it's not, it's to me it's not subjective. What when it becomes subjective is is for example you could look at something like say form failure, or say something like squats or deadlifts. I don't think anybody should take a deadlift to mm-hmm. complete failure. Um, that's that would be so systemically taxing. Um, it would be very counterproductive. Probably the same for squats, right? Like a set of squats. I don't feel like if you're doing a really really difficult set of ten, and maybe you could eke out eleven, but your form would probably have broken down then probably you're probably fine at the 10 and that's what I consider like form failure. Um, but otherwise outside of squats and deadlifts, there's really, there's not a movement. I, I don't think you can say, you can even say, well, it's objective to so either you went to muscular failure and no more fibers could be recruited. Um, or you, or you didn't. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you, man. I'm just, I'm just saying, depending on the circumstances mentally, uh, you either tap into more potential or don't. I mean, yeah, that that that's the I guess the gray area, depending on what level of kind of mental kind of pressure you've got to do more. Because I think I think our bodies can do much more than our brains allow them to do, and I think a lot of us are kind of trained to be quite lazy. We get to a point where it just feels a bit tough and we stop. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, and that does vary from individual to individual, but I mean, it's a lot more fun to lay on the couch and eat, you know, chips and ice cream <laughs> and watch Netflix. And then it, it, the truth is, yeah, that it is. I don't know. I mean, there, I, I had that thing. I can't go. Um, like I said, I've never had a real layoff in 30 years. So it's like, if, even if I have weeks and sometimes people go through this, if they train long enough, is that I have, you know, weeks, sometimes months at a time where I'm not necessarily enjoying training, but you just put it on autopilot and get it done. Just show up. And absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's a part, like those downtimes, I think are still a part of getting better um, because it, otherwise you have to take time off or you quit or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, most people can do, and you, and you hit on that point, most people can do more than they think they can. But that comes back to, like I said, if you haven't spent years training to failure, how do you know yeah. what two are, you know, two reps in revert really is? You don't. That's the thing. You don't. And that's why I think like training really hard to failure, maximizing, um, you know, cultivating that, you know, within your training arsenal. Say, hey, I trained for the first five, eight, ten years, however long. I, you know, I know what training to failure is. I did it a lot. And then you can say, okay, I'm going to use this particular modality where I'm leaving one rep in the tank or two reps in the tank, and then I'm seeing how that goes, and I'm playing with volume. But I don't – one of the reasons I absolutely believe that so many guys are frustrated with their with their gains is actually what you're doing is I'm, I want to have a, vol, a volume go. I don't think that is indicative of achieving more muscle growth. Strength is a different topic because it's more neuro-based. Um, when I was training for powerlifting – I did a lot more volume, but I didn't get anywhere close um, to failure because what I was trying to do is trying to um, hone those motor patterns, right? And so you train submaximally and explosively, and that activate, activates a great deal of those high threshold motor units, but you don't get anywhere close to the, uh, to the involuntary slowing of the muscular contraction. So you're trying to be fast and explosive um, with more volume. Uh, but you're doing it submaximally so you don't beat your nervous system to shit. So it's a little different. Training for strength, maximal tra- strength, and training for maximal muscle growth have two very different optimal approaches in my opinion. Okay. But training for for training for maximal muscle growth, I don't believe that having a – I don't understand the need to have a quote-unquote volume goal. They're, like I said, the volume is only going to play a part in helping you grow up to a point. After that, it's it's a point of diminishing returns or even will help in regression. I mean, I, I can see that. I can, I, if I think through my, if I, if I had to calculate volume with, um, uh, free, you know, the, the the total frequency sets reps, um, piece equation across the course of the year. I know it's undulated. It definitely hasn't been going up and to the right. It hasn't because it can't physically. I couldn't compete with some of my prior months in terms of volume I've done. So I know it's it undulates. And I'd use different modalities. But what I would have done, Paul, is I, I would have spent a good first year doing mostly strength-based, anywhere between four and eight reps across various movements. Uh, and recently, I've been flirting with the 10 to 15, maybe 20 to 25 reps. Whether it's worth it or not, I don't, I've seen some difference, both physically measure, physical measurement and through the, you know, through the mirror. But I don't know whether it's the most effective. And and I tell you why I was doing that, Paul, is because there is a lot of um, there, there, there's a there's a lot of discussion around obviously body bodybuilder routines, right? And you'll see high volume workouts. And I kind of wanted to touch on that then. So you're talking about a kind of a, a threshold where once you pass that, it's diminishing returns or potentially going backwards. When you look at all these kind of 
uh, these bodybuilder routines where they're doing, you know, 15, 20, 25 but, plus hold, reps. But hold on, but hold on, hold on, Steve. Those, that, what you see there and what you actually, what they do like in person is so, there's such a massive disconnect between the reader and what's really going on. Like I so train with lots of, I've trained with lots of IFP control bodybuilders. They don't train quote unquote high volume. You know, like the majority of them do exactly what we talked about. They'll do their warm up sets and then we'll it'd be like the one big set. And that's it. Wow. And Meadows and I have talked about this over and over and over again. Which which sets do you count? So when he and I have trained on multiple occasions and we'll look at each other and John say, How many sets do you think that was for legs? And I'll look and I'll be like four. And he'll go, Okay, I was gonna say six. But it that's literally like a two hour fucking leg workout. <laughs> Because, but then the average person would go in and watch that. And go, man, you guys did so much volume. Well, I'm like, no, we didn't. We did warm up sets, so we did potentiation sets, so we did feeder sets. But we don't. Those are not the growth sets. That's not the sets you're growing off of. So, when we've gone in and we train over and over, and John talks about this over and over and over again, and I do too. There's the one big set. That's your growth set. That's the one you're going to bust hump on. There's only the one. And sometimes he'll count like we did when last time we trained in Vegas. One of the leg sessions that we did, we did three sets of leg extensions and well, we did a couple of warm up sets and then we did three sets of 20. And John was like, how many sets would you count there? I was like, just the last one for me. And he's like, I think the he, for, for him, it was two of the three sets because the second set was pretty hard. And then the last set was was really hard for him. Like he didn't make the full 20 without a rest. So he counted two sets. I only counted the one because only the last set was really hard for me trying to figure out the loading. And then we went to hack squats. We went up to, I think John went up to four and a quarter plates on hacks and we did a cluster set there. Um, so we, and then I went up to like five plates per side on the hack and then I, we did a cluster set there. So it was like, I think it was, it was like six reps and then we rested for 20 seconds and then did four reps and rested 20 and then did three reps. We just count that as one set. But we did one plate per side, two plate per side, three plate per side, and then four got to four plates per side to figure out what the loading was going to be like. Well, we only counted the one cluster set. That's it, just the one big set. And then we did a set of swing squats after that for one set. We did a couple of acclimation sets, kind of get a feel for the machine. The one big set, and then we did a close a close stance leg press for like you know VMO work, um, just kind of kind of bias that area. So when I figured out by the end of the quad session, Sean's like, how many sets did you do? And I was like, four. And he's like, I thought it was like six. So when people talk about bodybuilders doing all this high volume, it's not like you think. And this has been with every guy that I train like that. Like they don't, the majority of guys, they don't do that. There's the one big set. And even if you look at Ronnie Coleman's training, go watch this video and actually pay attention. He always had one big set that he did. And after that, he was on to the next exercise. Go like go watch it. It's not these these bodybuilders are not trained that way. And I think that's why it sounds like that you kind of been frustrated with your own training a little bit. And I think that's probably why there's so many natural guys I see. That's the approach they're taking. Volume load is the most irrelevant, useless thing that you can look at in terms of your training performance. And it's funny. It's like one of the guys that I'm not a huge fan of, but I had an interaction with a couple of weeks ago was uh, Greg Knuckles. And Greg and I both agreed on this across the board. He's like he's like volume load is fucking useless. He's like, you guys need to be training harder. And I'm like, absolutely. So I don't know why there's been this shift with so many natty guys that believe that volume is some holy grail for getting them growing. And then they're frustrated because they're not fucking growing. Mm. It does feel like a bit of a, 
a cheat, doesn't it? Because yes, you're doing you're doing work, and you know there's calories and there's effort. Um, but because you're not pushing yourself to a point where you're completely exhausted, you're, and you're training you're naive, to get tired. Exactly. You're to get tired. Okay. Here's the other thing about that, and I've heard this before: is that the more reps you end up doing, like that, you the more reps that you do, the greater the inroad to systemic and nervous system recovery. So when you do ten reps. Okay. And so if I do five reps or let's say I do six reps and it's still failure, I'm going to get about five simulated reps out of that, but I only did six reps. But if you do 10 reps and you, it was a true, say two reps in reserve, you actually cause more systemic uh, fatigue than I did because of those extra reps. So you lose the whole benefit of leaving some reps in reserve that you're supposed to get. Well, I can do more sets because I'm not taxing my nervous system as greatly with the reps and reserve thing, but not if you're doing more reps. So you're, and then you're not getting as many stimulating reps. It's just a super fucking inefficient way to train. Like volume load is useless. It's absolutely useless. It's fucking useless for trying to measure like how am I, my, is my performance improving? Mm -hmm. I can always do another set and tackle a more volume load. Like how does that benefit me? Let's say I, if I go in and do, and I just keep, and I take three, five, ten minutes rest, and I do another set. Well, yes, maybe if I if I think volume load is important, and I write that down on a piece of paper, I did more volume load. Is did that do anything towards getting me better? I I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know, and I, I appreciate this conversation because that that has often been a thought that's gone through my mind, Paul. Which is, I've got my own gym. I could I could bust out a, a, some squats every half an hour if I wanted to whilst I'm working. Doing, I could do, I don't, but I could do. I work literally two yards away from my squat um, area. So I could go there and I could just bust out a 10 and then just go back to work. And I've often thought, should that? Should I do that? I haven't yet. And it sounds like I shouldn't bother. No, I, the, here's my thing, man. It's like, I tell guys this all the time. It comes back to full circles. Like I said, once you figure out what movements that you, that fit your structure and you're performing, executing them well, and you're, you're targeting the right tissue, if you are, if you're using that loading, if you're doing 150 pounds for eight reps today, a year from now, if you're doing 200 pounds for eight reps, whatever muscle group that is going to be really fucking big compared to where it's at right now. That's it. That's the whole ball game right there. Mm. That's it. It doesn't, if, if you say, well, I can do 50 fucking sets, but you can't lift any more weight. The muscle had no reason to create that remodeling for adaptation. It didn't. So what, what does volume provide then beyond fatigue? Well, clearly there's got to be enough volume done. There has to be enough accumulation of stimulating reps performed so that there's a need for adaptation. Sometimes for some people, they have a very, they're very, they're training, very, they're very training sensitive. So they don't need as many, right? Like they have, they have a higher degree of muscle protein synthesis. We've seen that in some studies where some guys are just like off the charts with that stuff. And then they grow very easily. And then other guys, they need, they do need more. They do need more reps. They do need more simulating reps in a session. So, but the fact is what we've seen over the course of 10, 20, 15, you know, 10, 20, 25 years, however many years we've been looking at the whole volume to growth equation is like there's a point of diminishing returns. It's on a bell curve. So once you tap in and kind of figure out, okay, this is the, the range that I can recover from, then what I think most guys are going to consistently benefit from um, minimum dose and maximum effect. 
And that's usually a lot less than they think if they're training hard enough. What, what, what would that look like for you? So obviously you train hard and you know how to train hard, but how if you're doing, you know, if you're working your chest, it might be a full body workout, but you're working your chest as part of that routine. How many chest oriented sets of whatever exercise would you do and you say that's that's adequate? I've worked hard enough, we're done. Um, like for me personally, like I don't do full body routines. Um, I can't, I could never recover from a full body routine. Um, and not to mention, I just would not enjoy it. But, um, I mean, usually one or two sets to failure for like a, a press and then, um, maybe two sets of a type of working the pecs in a lengthened position. So something like a, a low to high, uh, cable fly mm-hmm. and, and maybe, Every once in a while, like a set of dips after, but you know, it's like one or two sets of a press. Sometimes I do two sets. Sometimes I do one. Lately, it's been two more often than not. So it's like one set of six to eight. Then, a, then I rest three to four minutes and do another set where I'm shooting for say eight reps. And you, you usually don't try to get more now than eight. So it's like usually six to eight reps for a chest press. And then I go to like a, a fly. Um, and it might be a, um, to start. It might be like a high to low fly to work the the costal pack, the lower pack for like one set. And then I might do a low to high fly for like, a, for like one set. And all those are to failure. So you're looking at four total sets for chest. Wow. That's, that's very little in comparison to what I do. And I'm of, clearly, I, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting I know everything. I'm just going at it based on what I think is right. That sounds so much lower than what I do. And I, I think I train relatively hard. I'm guessing nowhere near the, how you train. Um, but yeah, that's, that's quite, Earth-shattering for me. Well, I mean, that's what I can recover from. And the only way that I know that I can recover is that am I consistently getting stronger in those rep ranges? That's really just like, and that's what I have to ask you is like, oh, are you are you significantly stronger today than you were six months ago? Like, um, like I, I would say, I would say personally, I'd say my my strength is continuing to improve, so I haven't plateaued. That being said, uh, it's nowhere near as fast as as I thought it would be, nor am I maximally as strong as others my size. So I know that there's there's untapped potential so from a strength you, so, perspective. So there, right. So do you feel like over the past, say, six months, eight months, 10 months, or whatever, that there could have potentially been more gains that you could have achieved had you just focused on, say, I'm just going to get a lot stronger in these rep ranges and these basic movements. You know, I'm, I'm going to set a goal for six months from now, and I'm, whatever I'm squatting, it's going to be 50 more pounds from now for the same amount of reps six mm. months from now. Maybe, maybe right. Paul. I, I actually pulled away. I was doing so much kind of strength-focused routines where it was almost all exclusively focused on the one big lift with some accessory stuff, and that was it. I was done. I got to a point mm. where I started getting quite nervous about it. So I think I was getting to a point where it was really starting to beat me up, and I was fatiguing a lot, and I was getting nervous under the bar. And I felt the need to take a break and try something different. And that's been the last couple of training blocks, just kind of moving away from that, only to return to it now, but I've taken a bit of time out. So yeah, if I focused bang on it, I probably could, but I did feel I was starting to beat myself up, but that might've been just too much volume in total during that day, not just the big heavy lift at the front end of the workout. Yeah, and something you said there comes up a lot. You said you, you got to a point where you're getting nervous. And I think what you mean is from the loading you were using, right? Yeah, yeah. And just okay, feeling that I'm breaking where, down okay, and okay. I'm going to hurt myself. Right. You know? Right. No, that's where the gains fucking start, dude. Like one of the thing, one of the things I had that with a client of mine, I told him, you got to get past that. 
because he was actually he was getting strong at a really fast clip and he was starting to get nervous because he was, I'm like, dude, that's where it's at, though. Like you have to find a way mentally to overcome that. But that's a huge part of reducing your volume, right? Because like if you're like, I got to do all this loading and use this X amount of weight, but then I've got to do all this work after. But if you take that extra work that you're doing, which is not really contributing to that. And you just get back to, okay, look, I am, I'm actually lifting a weight that makes me nervous. That's where the fucking gains are, dude. That's where the fucking gains are. Like when you're actually low, dude, I go through the same shit that never goes away. You will never get away from that. And if you ever want to push the boundaries of what you're capable of genetically, you've got to live in those spaces more often than not. So it's like when I go into the gym and it's like, okay, I'm doing hack squats with, you know, it's like, you know, whatever the machine is like the, the, I call it the humble hack or one we have, but if it's like five plates, like that is heavy as fuck on that particular machine. Or if I'm doing like leg presses, whatever, and it's like 11 plates aside, I'm nervous as hell. Yes. I'm absolutely nervous, but you live there. That's why you have to learn how to live. You know, I think it's, what's his name? Jocko. What's his name? Um, what's that guy's name? He said, find your heart, like find your heart. And then everything else becomes easy. But you got to live in those places of nervousness and anxiety and where it's really fucking hard. Like, I don't know any, there's just no other way. And if you keep backing off from those places, then you're not, your body's just not going to grow. It's not good. You're, if you're living in those places is hard. Your body's going to say, okay, I got to adapt to this shit because you keep imposing these incredible amounts of, of stress on you. So I've got to adapt. Mm-hmm. So that's where you have to live. I'm not saying that you don't have times where you deload and give yourself a break because you're getting run down. But what I'm saying is you, if you're not consistently living in those places, I, I don't know how you expect to grow. Your body does not want to grow. It doesn't want to get bigger. It doesn't want to grow muscle. That is, it, that's not efficient. So you've got to give it a reason to grow like more often than not. And if you're just saying, I'm doing more volume because it makes you feel like you're accomplishing something, but you're not any stronger and you're not any bigger, then you're just going to the gym to get fucking tired. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. I'm I'm just, yeah, this this isn't just about me. This is about our audience, but just as that anecdote. Oh, I'm totally speaking to the audience because I I get that with, um, you know, that's that's what I feel like the majority of guys are are struggling with. Like they're like, man, how do I grow? I'm so tired of being stuck. I'm like, you've got to train harder. You've got to get stronger. You've got to stop bouncing around from routine to routine or thinking you need this novel exercise or following this mm. one guy on social media that produces all these, you know, puts out all these, these crazy new exercises. That's not where the magic is at. The magic is in that fucking nervousness you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the magic is. The magic is in that. And then just repeating that over and over and over again. That there's no other way. It's kind of like I was talking about. It's like getting a little bit fat. Yeah. Yeah, so my personal anecdotes, I've got stronger, but I am not strong. I would not class myself as a strong person. I do about 150K squat, 200K deadlift, 110K bench, you know, for reps, you know, four four to six reps on on those. I I do not regard that as strong. Uh, But at those levels, um, you know, I've I've moved up probably about 20K uh, on, on on the squat over the course of six, seven months about 10k on the dead because i just kind of felt i got a bit too kind of cranky and nervous with it now are you talking like for a maximum one rep max no i'm I'm talking for four to six so i'm not okay. I'm, not, I'm not really testing ones because yeah that freaks me out about too much so most the, the least i would do is probably three reps in terms of kind of testing my strength uh so right. the, the, there is there is progress and what was surprising right. paul is there has been progress 
since I pulled away from uh, as doing as many kind of really heavy squats and just jumping on the leg press, bought myself a leg press, started hack squatting, started focusing on my quads more because I felt they were a weak body part. And I felt yeah, that has actually improved had, things. Yeah, it's funny that you had Pakulski on because he made a post a while back where he talked about when he wanted to get his legs as big as possible, he stopped squatting and started focusing on movements where he could get more output mm. for the quads. You know, that's funny. And you're saying the same thing. I, I've come across that with a multitude of guys. It's like, I think from a, like a developing the quad standpoint, it's kind of a side topic. It's like, I don't think squatting is actually a very good movement for the majority of lifters. Yeah. I feel it I really don't, so much of your body and the, the, the quads get a little bit of action. That's how it feels for me at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's pretty spot. I think for the majority of guys, like, right. Like, I think it's kind of a special kind of structure to really get a lot out of like barbell squatting for just your quads. Right. Like Tom Platt's had like that perfect structure for like squatting but like you know you look at somebody like dorian who credit he credited dropping squatting as a reason like his his quads grew and there's i don't know i think it's what's his name um um jordan peters talks about the fact that he quit squatting years ago and his legs grew tremendously after he stopped squatting and started focusing on hacks and leg presses and stuff and that happens more often than not mm. So that comes back to the whole structure thing I'm talking about, right? Like you need to find movements that you can produce a tremendous amount of output on that's not beating you up from like a connected tissue level um, and executing them well. And then from there, it's just the loading. I've I've loved this conversation so far, man. And and I appreciate the back and forth and you not, you know, holding your punches back because that's how we all learn and grow is we 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 can't just, you know, be yes men and agree with each other all the time. So I really appreciate you put you putting me in, in my box when I need to be. Um, <laughs> that's just how I talk. No, nah, it's all good, man. It's all good. Let's talk about another concept then, because I, I put myself back on the I put myself back on the line for you to critique it. So you know, I've been on a pursuit of trying to build my best body yet, you know, naturally within the constraints of me doing other things in my life. This isn't my full time. Um, and my progress has been all right. I think for the average body, I'd say my body's, you know, in decent shape, but I think there's more. And therefore, I'm persevering that with all I've got. But I'm frustrated with the progress. I think I could and should be making more. And here's the question, you know, I'm what is the deal with bulking and cutting? Because I've been bulking and cutting for last couple of years, doing it properly, you know, managing my calories, you know, up and down accordingly. And I think I can cut fast and I can bulk according to a plan. Um, but to some degree, albeit from measurement perspective, I know things are changing because I, you know, I'll do the physical and girth measurements. So I know things are changing slowly, albeit. Um, but it does feel like as if I'm le- I'm losing and gaining the same 20 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, um, so I really believe that too. Right. I think there's a, there comes a point where the bulk and cut are just, it no longer serves you very well. Right. And that's probably where you're, you're kind of at. I remember Dave Tate talking about this too. Um, he's like, you ever see that guy that like, you know, balloons up, you know, like doing his bulk and then he, he dies back down later and he's the same fucking size that he yeah. was when he you was see all over the place. Yeah. And that's pretty common. I think there's, there's a point um, where the bulk and cut, it, it serves you. And I think it's in your early years um, when you can really grow and you still have a lot of, uh, everything's kind of a novel stimulus. And I think you're, I don't know how long, you, how many years you've been training now, but. A couple of um, years I max, think, properly. Okay. So yeah. And I, I think what happens is, is, is like um, when you're training truly properly um, and you're, you're eating a lot of food, I think that the, the bulk and cut can serve you pretty okay. I did basically a bulk for, I don't know, the first 10 years. Like it was a constant push to just get bigger, bigger, bigger. And I think that served me. I did a lot of things in retrospect now when I look back and I did a lot of things right. Um, 
where I think a lot of guys early on, they're like, oh, I'm getting a little bit of fat. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of love handles. I don't want them to come off. And then they cut and then they, they, they're like, oh, I'm really small. Or they freak out on the cut, right? And they're mm. coming down. They're like, oh, well, I'm really small. And I'm nowhere near as big as I thought I was. And then so they kind of end up spinning their wheels. I think that the bulk and cut only serves to – for the first few years of your training – and then you have to be training very effectively so that you can actually utilize the nutrients that those excess nutrients that you that you have coming in very efficiently. And then at, there comes a point where everything slows down, and I think it serves you best to stay relatively lean and keep your nutrient partitioning high because muscle growth is going to be slow anyway. And what you can do is give it the best environment to work in um, in order to facilitate that growth really efficiently. And generally speaking, when you get fatter especially when muscle growth is not happening at a very fast rate. But when you get fatter, um, you're working with a more inflamed environment, which means um, you're, you're not going to be as insulin sensitive. Um, and adipose uh, tissue is both estrogenic and inflammatory. So that's kind of the opposite of the environment that you want to be growing. You want a high testosterone, low inflammatory environment to be working in to grow muscle as efficiently as possible. And you want your nutrient partitioning to be as efficiently as possible. And when you're fat, none of those things are working optimally. So there comes a point where getting staying relatively lean benefits you more during a quote-unquote mass gaining phase. So you're like, I am mass gaining right now. So I'm eating in a surplus but not a massive surplus. So I'm staying relatively lean, keeping my body fat in check, no more than, say, 14 or 15 percent. That would be that kind of the ceiling of what you're working in. And then you're trying to grow from there. You can even grow in a, a, really with maintenance calories um, to some degree. So when I talked earlier about growing, like really power shoveling food, and really for the most part, I mean in the early years, you know, for the first five, five, six years, like kind of taking that time out then. Um, mm. yeah. So I think that's what you got. Yeah, about the, I, I agree. I, I sense, I sense it's it's getting to the point now that. It, unless I change something, whether it be the nutritional strategy or the training strategy, I feel that if I was to continue and have a three or four cycles of bulking with a you know short aggressive cut to just to take ten pounds of fat off, just so I don't freak out with you know the love handles, I, I'm not sure if I'd be particularly pleased with the overall outcome over those say, say next nine months. I think I would be like, ah, oh, all that effort, all that time in the gym, all that extra food, all that you know that aggressive cutting to be a pound or two heavier from a muscle perspective. And I'd be like, really? So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, well, you got to ask yourself this, um, would you rather put on that extra pound and a half of muscle over six months or say two pounds of muscle over six months? And yeah, you, you can see it. It's more visible. It's me. You know, you, you, in other words, you can see that you gained maybe two pounds. You kept a little bit of your abs. Um, so you can see that you gained, uh, maybe two pounds of muscle, which is not going to be two pounds on the scale. You got to figure two pounds of muscle, right? It's going to come with a certain amount of water and glycogen. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be looking at something to the tune of maybe, you know, 10 pounds, um, you know, eight or 10 pounds of scale weight staying relatively lean. So you'd be 10, 10 pounds heavier, but relatively the same degree of leanness. Or you could bulk up, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds for that extra two pounds of yeah, muscle don't do that's that, underneath. And then, right. And I then can't. spend the next like, three or four months dieting yeah. that off, but then losing that muscle in the process. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's kind of where the, the, where it becomes a point of diminishing returns. I think the early years when you're trying to build your base, you power shovel, you get stronger. Um, that's where you're going to grow. 
And then once you've had, you've got that five years or seven years under your belt, where you've done those things very um, intelligently, you know, for the most part, or very efficiently. Uh, at that point, I think it, it behooves you to stay relatively lean uh, and then try to build muscle in a more efficient physiological environment. Yeah, I would say, I mean, if, if you take a look at the Instagram feed of my shots whenever I do share them, I'm staying roughly the same. Kind, you know, I'm probably going anywhere between 10 and 14%. I'm never really going above that. Maybe that could be a problem in its own right. Um, and, you know, I bulk and I bulk properly and I ensure that I'm eating enough calories. But when I cut, I'll cut aggressively, get in and out so I can go back to the bulk. So I'm on a perma bulk, but with intermittent cycles of fat loss just to not go crazy. And is it making a great deal of difference? Well, I like my body shape. I don't need to change the way I look to be happy with who I am. Um, but with the amount of effort I'm putting in, it feels like there's a slight disconnect. The equation isn't maybe in the, in <laughs> going in the direction I want. That being said, maybe I'm just impatient and expecting too much for a physical frame to change. I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, closing on, on, on the nutrition bit then. So I, I said that uh, on that on that front, you I've heard from you that there seems to be a deeper appreciation for wellness, and that uh, building muscle absent of your kind of health outcomes and whether you're looking after your body and feeding it the right nutrition, not just from muscle building but generally, um, is something that you've learned to appreciate more recently. Can you kind of give us a little bit more of that and say, you know, is 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 muscle building and wellness, do they go together or do you have to treat them separately? And if they go together, do they, do they bring you more result and explain how that? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. That's been a huge paradigm shift that I've had is that think about, it. I mean, your health is the foundation of your building everything else off the top of, right? Like if you're in shitty health, how do you, okay, it's, it's already hard enough to build muscle, but if your health's in the shitter, how are you going to build muscle? How are you going to build muscle on an unhealthy system? Mm -hmm. Like that, that seems really difficult to me to fathom. Like if you're highly inflamed, um, if you have really shitty nutrient partitioning, uh, you know what I mean? If, if, you know, like if you take all these, if, if, all these health markers that you're, that you're dealing with that are in the red, right. Then and you have really poor health and your digestive system sucks and your sleep sucks. And you know, you're, you're not putting good food in your body. Um, then how are you going to grow off that? So if you're taking care of your health first, and a lot of guys, you know, they, they mock that. It's like, well, I'll just take, you know, just go into chemical warfare and take a shit ton, a ton of drugs. Yeah, you can do that, but you're going to pay for it. But when you look at guys that actually take care of their health, and I can name guys throughout the industry um, that, that actually took care of their health. Jay Keller was one of them, right? Jay still looks amazing, right? He still looks absolutely amazing. You know, one was at four, Mr. Olympias, um, even Ronnie Coleman. And, uh, but Jay always took great care of his health and he looks amazing this day. And, you know, Jay grew and grew and grew and got bigger. He actually was able to compete with Ronnie to a degree as far as like the size department. But that, I don't think that was because Jay was taking an excessive amount of drugs, but Jay's one of the guys that pretty much put his health, he put his health, like I have to take care of my health too. Um, for, for guys that are listening to this, that are like, well, I'm not growing, you know, and like I say, let's say they're past the years of power shoveling. And I still think when you power shovel, you shouldn't do that with shitty foods that, that are that are very high pro-inflammatory. Like, you know, you're shoveling down pizza and donuts and processed foods and that kind of shit. I think you can still power shovel those extra calories and keep your health and wellness in a pretty good state by making sure that the composition of foods you're eating, right, you know, they don't promote, you know, pro-inflammatory factors. So 
when you talk about, I want to build, I want to be leaner. I want to be more muscular. I want all these things. And okay. I have a head. I am in shitty health. Does do those things seem to go in line? They don't for me personally, Paul, but right. yeah, there's, right, okay. there's many of people that would, would treat those individually and say, right. No, I don't I think there. I, no, I, yeah. You, I think that, that if you want to grow and get bigger, the best thing you can do is make sure that you're actually, that your health is in accordance, right? Like you have a good, healthy system, physiological system to build off of. Um, like I said, there's guys that can get away with not doing that, but they end up suffering for it at some point down the line. I've seen that over and over and over again, but especially for natural guys, one of the best things they can do, man, make sure all your, uh, your, um, micronutrients are short up, get some blood work done, see where you're deficient mm -hmm. at, making sure that you're taking care of your, your digestive system, making sure that you're, that you're keeping your inflammatory factors down, making sure you're keeping your life, life stress in check. That you have coping mechanisms um, for dealing with that stuff. That you have healthy outlets. I mean, the better your sleep is. Sleep is one thing that's consistently overlooked. When you when you don't get enough sleep, um, you know, ghrelin goes up, leptin goes down. It's, it's harder to stay on point with your diet. You tend to really crave um, those a lot of those high calorically dense foods that tend to fuck up your diet and are often very pro-inflammatory. So like sleep is your biggest recovery weapon. Sleep is one of your biggest factors in making sure you're having a high degree of compliance to a good diet. So when you factor in all those things and say, I'm taking great care of my health, you're, you're probably going to see better muscle growth if you're taking care of your health. And some people confuse that and say, well, I'm taking care of my health. Eat, you can eat in a caloric sur surplus and be taking care of your health with the foods that you're choosing to eat, right? So, um, yeah, I think taking care of your health is a huge part. Of, um, of making sure you're setting yourself up for good gains. And how long have you been, would you say that you have prioritized health in your pursuit of muscle building? You mean like as far as like once I retired from powerlifting? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's when it is. But Well, when I, when I was powerlifting, powerlifting was my focus. I didn't give a shit about my health. Right, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to, lift more, I wanted to lift more weights. So it was all about eat, getting as big, like eating as much food as possible um, and lifting as much weight as possible, like your health be damned. Um, one of the things I made a promise to myself was when I turned 40, I would put my health first. And, you know, so I, I you know, stopped, uh, you know, taking big drug cycles and, you know, stopped, uh, you know, eating like I was, I was eating like an asshole all the time. And I, I got myself, I got all that in order. So, and I, I, I would never go back. Like there's no amount of weight in the world. Somebody's like, well, you can wake up tomorrow and you're going to feel like shit. You're going to look like shit again, but you're going to have like world record totals. I'm like, nope, I don't want it. I don't want it. That's, that's really how I feel like it just like, it wasn't even like, I look back now and I wasn't, um, I never had any world record total. I was ranked top 20 in the world on a couple of different occasions, in different weight classes. And I was pretty strong. I had a near 500 incline overhead press, 385 pounds, you know, squatted 660, deadlifted 725 from, from a deficit. So like those aren't world record. I mean, those are, those are strong lifts though. And, um, but I felt like shit. I can remember walking across a parking lot and having to stop and lean on a car to finish walking across the parking lot. Mm. And I, I would never want that again. I can go do, I can do sprints again now and feel amazing. You go to cardio for two hours and I can still go to the gym. I'm still, a lot of my strength over the last probably year or so has come back. You know, I'm doing Romanian deadlifts of 500 pounds for, for reps and leg pressing over a thousand pounds for reps and doing hack squats with, you know, with big weight. I can't press after I tore my back. I can't press what I could ever press, but I'm okay with that. But, um, my body is still very strong, um, but I feel good and I look much better.
So yeah, that's, I mean, that's what all, matters, man. You've got you've got to enjoy the the physique and the strength you have, right? Not just feel like shit, but no, yeah. You're one of the best. Yeah, well, when you feel like shit, you're lifting a lot of weight. The only time you feel kind of good is when you're in the gym, and then the rest of the time you feel like <laughs> shit. So now that I, you know, I stay in shape year around, or pretty, you know, like I'm, like right now I'm dieting really hard again. I actually want to drop uh, more body fat right now, but um, I feel pretty good year around, um, and and that's far more valuable. How, how would you describe your diet, Paul? Uh, last question. So, um, whether it be an easy way to describe it based on a on, on a, a label whether it's the keto diet or it's a, whatever, um, and maybe what are your kind of nutritional priorities? What what do you do that both serves your gym gains as well as your overall wellness? Um, I do like I have a type of carb cycling that I do um, where I keep carbs pretty low three to four days a week. And then I have a, like a day where I keep bump carbs up pretty high and I have a couple of medium days. But I mean, really it just comes back to, that's just a preference thing. I don't think there's anything necessarily magical about it. But I, it, the one thing I try to do is try to make sure that I'm absolutely meeting that 90% threshold for choosing good food selections. So it's all whole, whole food stuff, mm-hmm. um, minimally processed 90% of the time where it's, you know, beef, chicken, you know, egg whites, you know, oatmeal, rice, you know, I mean, it's pretty much the staple. Like I like, I like bro diets. So some people like the whole, if it fits your macros and flexible dieting shit, that's not really for me. I like bro diets. I feel better on them. Yes. It's basic. It's straightforward. It's not inflammatory to the most part. Do you, do you do like crazy cheat days where you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're chowing through a couple of massive pizzas and just going crazy with like, you know, the carbs or are your carbs generally clean the source carbs, rice, potatoes, that kind of thing? Um, you know, most of the time, yeah, it's like my carb sources are pretty much always jasmine rice, potatoes, um, and then some cream or rice or something like that. And then an oatmeal, um, like I'll, yeah, I definitely have like what I consider like what I call like free meals. I don't necessarily call them cheat meals anymore. But I'll have refeeds when I have my carbs are really low for four days, three or four days, and I'll have a day where I spike my carbs. But those won't – I won't necessarily have like shitty food during the time. I'll just eat more of the normal carbs I do – I usually eat. Um, but then I'll have three meals like, you know, like when I go out um, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I'll have like what I call a free meal where I just eat what I want to. And I can eat. I, you know how to eat. Math. I'm, I'm kind of known for my eating. So. Um, <laughs> And are you okay with fat generally? Do you do you have a, a fat goal, a fat macro target, or no? I keep fat absolutely as low as possible. Okay. Like I don't, I don't do anything um, to like. I, I think that to me, like, um, I think you'll need a little bit of fat coming in for you know cell membrane and, and and hormonal optimization, but I don't think it has to be that much. And I think that a lot of people have gotten kind of over, kind of overzealous or carried away with fat intake. The last few years with like kind of the keto thing becoming popular again. Um, I prefer carbs and I prefer to keep my fat intake low. Cool. Appreciate all the wisdom, the the back and forth and yeah, just some very eye-opening debate today, Paul. It's uh, It's been fantastic and I think I'm going to reflect on this conversation a great deal. Um, tell, tell the guys where maybe where to get started with your stuff. Cause I know you've got, you've got a website and you've got so many things that people can look at. Well, I don't really, I don't, I don't really have a website anymore. It's like, there was the blog forever and I haven't written on it forever. I'm actually going to try not? to prop up the website. No, that's really weird. Right. Like I, I spend so much time, um, 
you know, really just with my social media and writing for T Nation and bodybuilding.com and that kind of stuff that I just really haven't put much effort into it. I know like it's, that's really like, it's like everybody's got a website. I really don't put much effort into the blog anymore, but I'm actually going to get a real website set up probably after the first of the year. Um, I've already started working on it. So the one thing I do have coming, I do have a, um, my carb cycling book will be coming out probably within the next month. Um, I've run through, um, I, I don't know how many people now in my coaching groups with have all done really fantastic with it as far as fat loss, um, while not losing any strength. So it's been, it's been really cool to do that over the last more than a year, um, to have so many people come through my coaching, um, groups that I run through these particular programs to kind of, you know, fine tune and tweak everything rather than just making up something theoretically and putting it out there for sale, had a multitude, I don't know how many hundreds of people have come through. Um, that have really done great um, with this carb cycling approach. And so I have a manual coming out for that probably within the next month or so. Nice, nice. So your your books, your digital books there, are they available on your website exclusively or can you find them elsewhere? Yeah, I do have that still. You can still go through lift-run-bank.com and find eBooks and they're all still out there. And, and that's still up on my link on my Instagram right now. So kind of like my Instagram is like my... my uh, it's like my website at the moment. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. And it's a great it's a great feed, by the way, man. I appreciate the diversity of training and reflection and philosophy and you know, food. I, I I like the balance. You're doing a good job, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And thank you again for today's chat. Um let's keep in touch and we'll get this out as soon as possible. Hopefully uh, our audience love what we've spoken about. And hey, if there are any questions coming uh, my way, hopefully you'll help bat and back and help people out. Absolutely, man. Let me know if you need anything. I'd be more than glad to help. You're a star, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, Steve. I had a good time, buddy. Wow. What an episode. What an episode. It was jam-packed full of goodness. And I hope that there's a lot of takeaways here for you. Now, please remember that the Be Your Best Self-Optimization program is imminently available. And you can go check that out by going to adaptnation.io and on the homepage, there will be a notify button. Press that and you will get notified as soon as it drops. And you're going to want to see this. This is a game changing product. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.